Welcome to Top Talk, where we take critical conversations to the cross of Christ and examine world events through a biblical worldview. I'm your host, Jonathan McFadden. and welcome to Top Talks. Again, I'm your host, Jonathan McFadden, and today I'm being joined by four young adults who basically grew up at Tabernacle of Praise. Hey, y'all. How's it going? Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. (laughs) All right. So chipper. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about success. What does that look like? Um, As you can all tell, we are young, Black, beautiful Black people. Um, And so, Black success for us looks very different than it might look for some others. In light of everything that's happened with George Floyd, with people and companies and brands making these very vocal stances against racial injustice, we wanted to take a moment to talk to the people who are in these corporate offices navigating corporate America day after day, who are subject and privy to all these maybe inside conversations and what's happening actually in the workplace, how difficult it could be being both Black and a believer in the corporate environment. So before we get started and start jumping into the conversation, I want everybody to introduce themselves, tell us who you are, how old you are, and what you do for a living. We'll start with Joe. Good afternoon. I'm Joe Terry as Neil. Um, I'm I'm pushing it a bit on the on the young adult thing. I'm 28. <laughs> um, I am an attorney, um, a, a, a young attorney. Um, I just got licensed in South Carolina back in November, um, and I will be licensed in North Carolina um, in the coming months. Congratulations. Thank you. Somebody else take it away. Tiara, you go. go. All right. My name is Tiara Howell. I am 25 years old. I am a marketing and public relations professional. Um, That pretty much sums me up (laughs) in a nutshell. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Yesuto. Everybody. Uh, My name is Alfred Yesuto Jackson. Uh, 25 years old, I work with early stage technology startups. All right. Thank you, Alfred. <laughs> Ebony? My name is Ebony Stowe. Um, well, hello, everyone, to begin. Um, my name is Ebony Stowe, and I'm 25 years old. Um, I work for a local department of social services, um, and I work in economic services. So I assist with um, cash assistance programs, food and nutrition, and Medicaid programs. All right. And I'm the senior of the crowd. I'm pushing 30, um, Jonathan McFadden, and I am a senior content strategist for a financial services company. So all of us are in our 20s still, um, and we are all in some kind of facet of corporate America in different industries, different sectors. You have law, you have marketing and PR, you have marketing and PR advertising. You have uh, startups, entrepreneurship, business, and then you have uh, social services. Um, and so one of the things I wanted to talk about initially to get this going, to get this started, is you know being in corporate America or being in the workplace in general can oftentimes feel like a rat race where you have to kind of balance your ambition and your goals with who you are as a person. You might find yourself in situations where you may be tempted to compromise or to maybe put aside some of your beliefs or values in order to succeed and to climb. Have any of you ever experienced that? And if you have, tell me how you navigated that. How did you deal with that? How did you reconcile with that? And anybody can start. I'll go ahead and uh, tackle this one. So, <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, so um, yeah, I think it's you know trying, to, especially when you're within the first four to five years of like your professional career, it's like this constant state of are you are you staying ahead? Are you putting yourself in a place where uh, you can support yourself when you have to take care of people in your thirties? So like the twenties is kind of like the stress test of like, am I doing everything right uh, to get what I'm like to get where I need to be going and making sure I'm making the right decisions. Um, and with that, sometimes you can find yourself in a place, well, at least for me personally, is, is you start looking at other people and what they're doing at your age. And you have to understand that like, there's a lot of circumstances that goes behind that person uh, being where they are at their age. Because maybe they've been studying whatever field they're in for the last uh, you know, 17 years. Maybe they, in high school, they were taking internships and interested in the things that they're doing now. You have to kind of understand that. But then also you have to appreciate where you are. Um, because if you don't appreciate where you are, you're always going to be in this constant state of, you know, just being, I won't say depressed, but not being satisfied or not being content uh, with the situation, not enjoying it. Um, so pretty much what I've had to do when I get into that state of like being anxious about, uh, you know, maybe not being in the right situation or uh, not moving as quickly as I need to move. Uh, and then the, the, the situation comes up where like this just dangling thing of, oh, well, you could do this to kind of get where you need to go on a fast track. It's just taking the time to step back and breathe and reassess like, you know, for 25, I'm doing just fine and I'm doing okay. Um, and I'm, you know, doing exactly what I want to do. So just taking that time to reflect and remind yourself that you're blessed and remind yourself that you can't really look at what anybody else is doing because that's their life and you have to take care of your own. So that's kind of been my experience and my perspective. Good. Anybody else? Um, I can elaborate on that. Um... Same deal for the most part, uh, what Yesito said about kind of understanding your own process. Um, I kind of established this quote for myself, which was trust the process, trust yourself and trust God. Um, just simply because everyone's walk is completely different. Um, and when you're in these different areas, you do feel pressured to um, say, for instance, I've been to college for four years. Um, I should have this and I should have that. And, you know, for me, um, you know, the specific industry that I try to focus on, a lot of my friends, you know, a lot of my peers are also in that industry. So it was tough, you know, seeing this happened for this person or this happened for this person and not understanding, like, regardless of what position I'm in, whether I like it or not, why is it not happening for me at this moment? So um, there was a constant battle. You just really have to, like I said, trust your own process um, and trust yourself. Everything really does happen in due timing, um, but it's not easy. It is definitely not easy to comprehend when you're in that moment. So um, just, yeah, I, I believe in, you know, just really focusing on yourself and really focusing on exactly what you have to do to get to your own next level. That's good. So I'll chime in. Um, Jonathan, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I do think you, you, one of the, a part of your question was being faced with a situation that maybe goes against your beliefs and, yep. and you know, you have to sacrifice something for yourself. Um, I'll say for me, I, I haven't experienced that, but um, I, it's something that a question that I get often as an attorney, um, you know, people ask, you know, do you do criminal law? And then they'll talk, you know, how could you defend, you know, especially when I was in law school, how could you defend a person that does this or that? Or, you know, if someone commits a, a heinous crime, you know, pointing at other attorneys, how could an attorney represent that person? And um, I used to have those same questions, uh, you know, especially before I went into law school. But 
after talking to attorneys, you know, it's, it's not about defending, you know, a crime that somebody committed. It's about defending that person's rights. Um, it's about, you know, making sure that person has a right to a fair trial. It's about making sure that that, that person has competent counsel, um, making sure that their rights are not being infringed upon. Because if you allow someone else's rights to be infringed upon, it could, it could certainly happen to you. Um, but because I knew that certain things may bother me um, as an attorney, you know, maybe, you know, if someone did commit a heinous crime or, or, or maybe if there was this, you know, insurance company that didn't want to provide coverage uh, for someone that was, you know, um, tragically injured in an accident and they, and they should have been covered. Um, you know, some things you can be proactive about when, when you're going into a particular industry. And I would encourage anybody, you know, if, you know, if you have a goal in mind and I, I want to participate in this particular profession, if you know that there are things that that may that may challenge your character, um, then you know maybe you think twice about that profession, or maybe work within a different area of that profession. So, although I do civil litigation, I don't I don't have to um, at least thus far in my career I haven't been faced with you know something. If I take this case, it may have a big payout, but it may cost me you know part of my soul. Um, so I, I would encourage everyone to be proactive, uh, do the research, um, you know, research companies, um, you know, go on Glassdoor, um, you know, look up reviews and, and you can kind of figure out, you know, what will I be doing in this particular job? And, you know, does this job and the duties that I'm going to be performing, do they line up with with my character and, and who it is that I want to be? Yeah, that that's really good advice. And I can um, not it's not really the same because I wasn't a lawyer but when I first my first job out of college was as a newspaper reporter covering crime and public safety and so I oftentimes interacted with lawyers and suspects and cops and all these types of people in this in the criminal justice system um, and there were definitely moments where I had to cover things or write about things that personally felt um, kind of contrary to who I was and but at the same time, I also found myself believing in things or, or believing that everybody kind of deserved their side of the story to be told in the paper. Whereas most people are like, well, why would you do that? That person was killed, you know, in a, at a party, for, for instance. And so they're just a bunch of thugs anyway, um, particularly about young Black people. Anytime I wrote about young Black victims of crime or Black suspects of crime, and I would try to go the extra mile to write about them a little more you know, with a little more complexity to show people that, hey, they're not just what they did or they're not just uh, a crime victim, I'd oftentimes get flack from the public, um, particularly white people, who would, you know, say like, why, you know, these are a bunch of N-words or, um, like I said earlier, thugs, and why are you bothering with this? Why are you trying to be, you know, excusatory of their actions and all those kind of things? And it wasn't that I was trying to excuse anything that anybody had done, but what I was trying to do was show people that, you know, there's a lot more complexity and there are a lot more reasons for crime than just, I'm a bad person. It usually has little to do with that. There, there's an entire, um, there, there's an entire history uh, that usually puts people in these kind of situations or they just were in the wrong place at the wrong time, which does happen. Just, you know, and that's sometimes the difficult situations we're put in, especially as young people, because there I was 21 years old and I'm dealing with these with cops and I'm dealing with suspects and I'm dealing with all these people and, and this kind of really, you know, complex and 
sometimes dangerous world and getting tugged and pulled in these different directions, trying to follow or do what I thought was the right thing. And so sometimes you find yourself in a situation where you have to really look into yourself and decide, okay, am I going to do the right thing because it's the right thing? Or am I doing the, or am I going to do something else because it's easier and because that's what people expect of me. Um, and so I may not encounter those situations nearly as frequently or nearly as uh, emotionally as I used to, but they're still there. And that still happens in life. That happens as you're growing up. You're always going to be in those kind of situations. So yeah, good stuff. Um, Ebony, I wanted to give you an opportunity to speak on that if you had anything or we can just keep going, whichever you prefer. Well, I actually do um, have something I'd like to add. So right now I work in economic services. And so um, typically when people hear about the Department of Social Services, the first thing that their minds go to are, oh, you're all the people that take kids away. Like that's just the automatic go-to um, when there is so much more to the Department of Social Services. Um, just as far as what they do for the public and assisting and assisting people who need help. Um, and so right now, although I do not work with youth and family services, it's eventually something that I would, um, I, that I would like to do and that I have a desire for, um, not necessarily with removing children from homes, but um, something of that sort. Um, if it's adoption or whatever the case may be, I do have a desire for that. Um, and so just, I, I realized that at some point, although I've never faced it before, that sometimes I may have a dilemma um, where children are being placed back into homes where they shouldn't necessarily be going back to. Um, and that's actually not a foreign concept um, with the Department of Social Services, unfortunately. So um, just kind of realizing what I will be walking into and just knowing that that may be a risk that that may come into play, um, <laughs> that, that may be something that may that I may experience um, when that time comes. So and I have not experienced it, you know, to this day, but just realizing that in different positions that may look different for me um, in the world of social work. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, kind of to kind of put a bow or on all of that, I think something that we all touched on is knowing who you are um, a little bit and, re and remembering who you are and ultimately whose you are. As believers, you know, we, we do have a, a different type of calling in this life um, and we don't shed those things off. We don't shed those values in the workplace Although it may look different, it may look different for everybody depending on what you're doing. I don't, you know, I don't know about y'all, but I can't go in my job passing out tracks. That's probably a, that's a, a no can do. <laughs> but you know, there are ways we could still be who we are, and, and and when we're encountering these situations, rely on God and rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit to help us figure out what the heck we should do. Um, I want to kind of move on from there though, and kind of just ask: Has being black ever been a thing in your career? And when I say a thing, has it been something that has either defined your career journey, your vocational journey? Has it been something that you think about often? Have you faced any kind of discrimination? Have you faced those kind of microaggressions in the workplace? What has it been like for you being black and young in the industry in which you work? And anybody go for it. Um, I'll be happy to begin. Um, 100% <laughs> on, on all points. Um, 
you all may not know, but I am no longer at Portia. And so I, while I was there, um, when I first began, this was back in uh, 2017, July 2017. I started out on a team uh, full of white men. And I would literally, about, I'll say like three months in, I would go home and literally cry almost every single day because of not feeling welcome and not, you know, no matter how many people speak to you in the morning or no matter, you know, how many hands you shake, it was just the weirdest thing feeling like the only black woman in that entire department. Um, so I would see little things like, you know, I, I, I'm a, a question asker. I, I'm very inquisitive. I always ask questions. I love to learn. Um, and I like to learn more about my job in order to excel. And um, I would notice that there were things kind of kept from me. Um, oh, you don't have to worry about that. You won't ever have to, you know, deal with it. And I'm like, so why wouldn't I have to deal with it? If it's in my department, if it's with, you know, my team, why would I not have to deal with it? So um, anyway, I, I just kind of dismissed it, kind of moved past it and um, excelled in different areas I was you know advanced in different positions there um and my last one showed me everything that I needed to know about you know what was going on just people are very intimidated when people like us I guess come on the scene or you know you're on your job you're always doing what you're supposed to do you're very friendly um you know it, everything you kind of dot all your I's and cross all your t's they did not like it at all um and it's kind of hard to navigate being black in corporate America, um, especially young and black in corporate America, because for one, that was my first position or my first experience outside of college. Um, two, I'm a very bubbly person. I'm a very, you know, I, I talk to everybody, you know, I'm very, you know, I just didn't understand and I always try to see the good in everything. So it's kind of difficult when you have to um, look at the real world in front of you and just kind of feel like, okay, do I have to change as a person? Do I have to, you know, there's so many questions that kind of come up in your head. Um, and it can, it can cause a lot of different feelings. I'm not gonna say exactly, you know, it, it might not be depression or it might not be anything, you know, on the more extreme end of the spectrum. However, um, your mental stability is challenged. Um, your, you, you know, you start questioning what you're able to do, um, all of, the, of those kinds of things. So um, it's time, I think that there's a time for everything to kind of have an ending. It may not be a happy ending, um, but I've felt more free now than I ever have. Um, so I think that just establishing that and understanding who I am as a person and who I am in the workplace um, was really a, a huge deal um, in that, that whole space. So yeah, being black in America and being black in corporate America is very tough. And that's just bottom line, um, just learning who you are. But as long as you know that, I mean, nobody can really touch you. Right. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. Anyone else? Yeah, um, I will add my two cents into it. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it, being black at, in the workplace is something that's, you, you always kind of know it, especially like, so for me, I'm the only uh, black person on my team, uh, from my core team to our board of directors, I'm the only black person within the whole organization. And that's something you like you immediately immediately see when you're interviewing for the job. You look at the team, you look at the board. Like, oh, this is probably one of those experiences. Um, and uh, you know, for the most part, you kind of just you know you kind of you don't you, 
you try not to think about it too much because if you're always thinking about oh, I'm the only black person here, it's like you're not really in the right space to uh, deal with different people from like you know from different backgrounds. If you're always concerned about you know what do people think about my background in this, uh, but I will say there have been like a couple situations that have come up over the last I'll probably say a year that were interesting. Like um, about a year into my current job, there was uh, a panel discussion. Um, in like one of our local startup uh, community centers. And the conversation was about uh, the minority uh, founder, the minority entrepreneur experience within um, St. Louis. And uh, somehow, some way, uh, my boss found the, uh, saw the questions before, um, before the panel started. And she called me like five minutes before it started. And she was, she was worried that I, was, I wasn't gonna be able to articulate uh, like, you know, that, you know, those, you know, my thoughts and feelings in, in a correct manner. And, um, I had to, you know, I, I had to remind her, like, you know, one, I, I gave her every single thing I, I was going to say. She said, oh, wow, like, that's great. And I was like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I'm Black, so I, I know how to talk about these things. This is, this is a lived experience. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like that reminder of, like, oh, they're worried that, you know, oh, I could potentially say something off the wall like kind of to kind of talk about the mechanic situation earlier, right? It's like, this is, this is going to be like, is Alfred going to say something, you know, off base or maybe something that offends the board or maybe some donors. Um, and that was kind of the moment where I realized, oh, like, yes, you know, I am in a professional sense treated like everybody else, but there's this, there's like this, this one bit where if we get on this subject, there's this uh, discomfort around what the one black person might say like in, in this sense. And that's when it kind of came like, oh, wow, this is this is the, the place I live in. It kind of, uh, it was kind of shine a little bit. And then fast forward into the Maude Arbery situation, George Floyd situation, and, you, and then you tie that in with working from home. Uh, you know, the feeling of isolation you get when you don't, when you don't have anybody that you work with that can really uh, empathize with that. You got to go to work in the morning. You got to like, you know, smile in front of your coworkers' faces. Um, and they're like, you know, talking about how crazy, you know, this, this stuff is on the news and, um, and your perception of it is completely different. And like the things you have in your mind, is like, there's nobody there that's, that's, that can really, um, that can really understand where you're coming from. But the, the good thing about hopefully working with good people, right, is that you do have team members that, that do say, you know, hey, I don't, I don't understand your experience, but I want to let you know that, like, I want to hear about, like, how do you feel about it? And I will say, like, when you're the only black person, but you do have a team member that plays that role, it's really just good to have. And you you cherish those people. You and you build your relationships with those people because you can tell they actually care about you. Um, so yeah, hopefully I answered the question in a good way. But that is, uh, but yeah, like being, I mean, you're always that's something that's always just going to be a situation, especially the the higher you go or whatever you like in whatever you do, pretty much you're probably going to be one or maybe one of two or maybe one of three. Black folks and whatever you do, the higher you go. Um, so it's just the reality of life. And our jobs is just to make sure that, you know, when our next generation comes, that, you know, hopefully we can have some good experiences and good perspective to give them. And it's more of So I certainly echo your sentiments there with hopefully with the next generation, there are, are more of us um, in these professional settings. Um, I, but just, just as an attorney in, in South Carolina, I believe, um, I believe as far as density, South Carolina has one of the one of the higher concentrations of, of black people of African Americans in the in the country. I think I think we're north of thirty percent. Um, 
as far as the population goes. Um, we're underrepresented, you know, in the in the legal profession as we are in most professions. Um, I believe for attorneys in South Carolina, maybe I believe it's a number somewhere between five and ten percent. Um, so I, you know, in law school, I worked at I worked at three law firms, and I, I've been at one law firm since I graduated. And at every law firm that I have worked at, I have been, you know, the one black person there. Um, now, with at my at my current firm, we we do have a um, what we call a runner, um, a, a young a young black man. He's actually about to go to law school, um, but I'm the only black attorney there. And um, once this young man is gone, I'll be the only black employee there. Um, and you know. I don't, I don't struggle with this as much now because, you know, as, as Alfred said, I mean, you, you get used to it. Um, you know, even, even, you know, being in school, I went, I went to a PWI. So, um, a lot of places there just, you know, aren't a lot of us, um, you know, the higher up in education, um, you go. Um, but there is certainly, um, a struggle with just, you know, cultural differences, um, things, I mean, I, I can think of a, a few times um, where just because of cultural differences, you may you, you may say something that that's taken the wrong way. And I, I think, um, you know, we, we all talk about code switching um, and, you know, before you go into the job, you know, your you know, your parents give you a call and, and tell you, you know, you know, make sure you're doing this, you're doing this and you're doing that and, you know, make sure you know, you don't, you don't get yourself in trouble. Uh, as Alfred said with, you know, especially when, when someone passes away, um, you know, you know, via police brutality or, or, or what have you. Um, I, I remember a time before I went to law school working in a corporate environment and um, I was frustrated. It was when Philando Castillo um, was, was killed in Minneapolis. And I remember as I was on my way to work, my father gave me a call and he told me, you know, son, you know, you posted some things on Facebook and I know you're upset, you know, but don't don't go to work and, and argue with people and, and lose your job. And, um, you know, that's something that that we are faced with, um, you know. So many things that we internalize and we, you know, a lot of times have to go into our work settings and and not speak on it or, or you know, act like nothing has happened. Um, fortunately, I think um, since since George Floyd's passing, I think there's more awareness, um, and and I think we do have a you know a vehicle now to to speak out more because um, America as a whole, I think you know wants to hear what we have to say uh, now more than ever, um, and I'm thankful for that. That's good. So I I think that my experience is just a little bit different from um, everyone else's. Um, I did go to a PWI, and um, so at post-graduation, um, I did work in um, another corporate job where I was the only African-American. Um, I and, and I felt uncomfortable just based on that alone, not... Um, not that I didn't know how to operate, um, but it, it just seemed as if like, if I was able to, because I excelled and because I did my job so well, it was almost unexpected of me. Like, wow, you can, you know, you, you really caught on to this fast or wow. Like it was just, it was almost as if, you know, that was above me. 
to be able to grasp my job and actually do it well. Um, so I, I transitioned on to my current job where we are the majority. Like, and well, I, I would say it was specifically black women and Hispanic women are the majority. And that mainly has to do with the population that we service. Um, it has a lot to do with that. The problem that I have is, or that I see is, um, management, upper management typically are white men and women. So, you know, it's, it's almost as, as if we, uh, we, we are trusted with the bottom of the barrel jobs, but we're not trusted to manage our own people. And so um, when George Floyd passed away, um, Although we received emails from our county manager and we were encouraged to, you know, reach out to our EAP, we we didn't have direct communication from the people who send us emails every day about, you know, you need to update this or you need to call this client back. I mean, the people who literally every day oversee all of our operations had nothing to say. And I think that that was harmful for me because, I mean, of course, you know, it means something to come from upper management, but I've never met our county manager. Like, I don't, <laughs> I know her name. I know what she looks like. I could pick her out in a crowd, but I don't know her personally. I don't talk to her every day. So that in itself was, was harmful. And then um, my direct supervisor said something, and I know that he was not intentionally his intention was not to offend anyone, um, but it was a very, he made a very insensitive comment. And so I made it plain to him, you know, I sent him a very polite email. I'm sure that it was, this was not your intention. However, this offended us. This, this, well, this offended me. And I know I wasn't the only person that was offended, um, but I felt like I needed to speak up on behalf of everyone else just so that it's understood, you know, listen, these are the people that you oversee daily and you need to know what makes us tick. You need to know what emo what emotionally harms us because you, you, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so important to know the people that you, it's important to know the people that you're working with on a daily basis. It's important to know what makes them upset. It's important to know how what you say affects them. Um, so I had no problem with saying, hey, you know, you could have worded that differently or you could have said that differently or whatever. And it wasn't, you know, he, he was definitely receptive to what I was saying or appeared to be anyway. But um I just hope that he can, you know, apply this, apply these principles moving forward and, and, you know, just knowing, Hey, maybe I shouldn't say it that way, or maybe I shouldn't say it at all. It's okay to not say anything. If you don't have, listen, our mother's taught us, if you don't have anything nice to say, keep your mouth shut. I would rather you be quiet than you run your mouth about really nothing. You're not saying anything, but you're hurting people who have to continue to deal with you, so. That's really good, Ebony. I feel like you've dovetailed into two things I want to take, uh, I want us to tackle. One, speaking up um, in the workplace as a Black person, as a Black employee, as a Black professional, speaking up when 
things like that happen, when microaggressions or macroaggressions happen. And then two, what conversations were like at your workplaces after George Floyd, because Joe was right, people are willing to talk and understand more now than they ever have been before. They want to hear our voices um, in, in, in really in an unprecedented way. Um, so, you know, we should definitely take the opportunity, I think, but um, also we are still at work. So let's, let's start with the first one. Have any of you ever been in a situation like Ebony where you've had the opportunity to speak up and address something that's happened that you know didn't sit well with you or didn't sit well with anybody else that was potentially offensive? Oh, I'll start this one off. Um, so I've had it go both ways for me. Um, there, um, this was around this was around Christmas time, the, the holiday season last year. Um, there was some there were some decorations um, at the front of our office that I thought were were interesting. Um, and, and what it was was it was a cotton wreath. So just, you know, a Christmas wreath, but it had cotton all over it. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I looked at it and um, I said, you know, a cotton wreath was like, this is the, you know, the epitome of South Carolina. Like this is the most Southern thing I've ever seen. <laughs> um, eventually the, the, the cotton reef was, was taken down. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't think that was, you know, there was no malice behind that. I think, you know, or any ill will. Um, but I, you know, I thought to myself, um, as a black person, when I saw the cotton reef, my initial reaction was like, why is there a cotton reef on the door? Um, and my first thought, my initial thought was what will a client think, you know, if a black client is coming through, through the office, are they going to think the same thing that I thought? Um, you know, will will they be turned away or, or, or put off by by the cotton reef? And, and ultimately, that's that's why um, I, I decided to speak up and, and say something. Um, now, on, on the flip side, uh, recently, um, this was this was after George Floyd's passing. Uh, I was I was making my way through the office and um, overheard a conversation, uh, but but only a piece of it. And the, the only thing I heard was, I don't think this will solve the problem of racism in America. Um, and, you know, my initial thought was, you know, I want to chime in. Like, I, I want to, you know, I, I want to figure out what's, what's going on here. Um, and um, I, I spoke to somebody about it. And, you know, they asked me a few questions. And, and, and I started to realize just, just how much I didn't know um about you know whatever they were talking about right um they could have been talking about protests which um, i would have wanted to chime in on that they could have been talking about uh riots uh, they could have been talking about taking down confederate statues like they could have been talking about anything um but uh, i didn't have enough information um to really go attack uh, the situation um the way the the way i wanted to emotionally um and um and also you know recognizing myself that you know the people that were saying this um these employees i don't i don't really speak to them that much um i don't have much of a rapport with them so um how how am i going to be able to uh, approach this situation um you know in a meaningful manner um how, how can i approach the situation in a meaningful manner um how can we, you know, talk about this and and potentially 
you know, I potentially educate somebody, right? Um, that, that's, that's what we all, you know, strive to do. We don't want to pick fights. Um, but ultimately, I decided not to say anything um, because, one, I, I thought about it for a few days and I was like, you know, it, is, it was so long ago now, I don't, I don't want to speak on it. But also, again, because I didn't know what they were talking about, um, it, it wasn't a microaggression uh, directed at me. Um, and, and like I said, because um, I, I just didn't have sufficient information uh, to, to me uh, to, to approach them um, about it. So uh, two things that I faced. Um, in one situation, I decided to say something, and uh, in the other, I, I decided not to. I'll just quickly talk about um, some situations I've had in my jobs. Um, in the company, at the company I worked at before my current company, I had a situation where definitely spoke up, and it did not go well. And I had a situation at my current company in which I spoke up, and it went very, very well. And so I have experienced kind of both sides of the coin. Um, I'll talk about a little, I'll give you the abbreviated version because it's a really long story for both companies, but essentially at my current company for a year, I've been part of uh, building the framework for a diversity and inclusion program um, that we kind of had to immediately deploy after George Floyd died. We were working on it, working on it, working on it. George Floyd happened and we were like, we can't wait anymore. And so we did. And that's been great. We've had Zoom discussion groups with employees reacting to George Floyd's death. We've had conversations with HR talking about affecting institutional change and the way we hire and retain and promote employees of color and promote women because we saw that there are gaps. We saw the disparities. We've been examining those things and we've been talking about ways to change them. Um, so that's been a great experience. Like we have a Slack channel where employees are dumping resources. People are talking about race with empathy and nuance. Um, we, and it's been wonderful. We have cultural celebrations. It's been great. At the company I worked at before, it blew up <laughs> into a big mess that eventually involved our legal department. And for, it was a two month long battle that basically just blew up. It, the, they put the whole kibosh on the whole thing. No diversity and inclusion program was launched. My job was passively aggressively threatened. And so it was kind of, it was a mess. Um, but it was that situation where things happened, microaggressions happened and macroaggressions happened in both places. And in both situations, I'm like, oh, we can't just sit back and do nothing. Something has to change. But it all, a lot of times it depends on the environment, the corporate environment you're in. The one I'm in now is very encouraging and has been very supportive. The one I was in before was very threatened, was very, uh, defensive. And so, you know, it's, I was really reluctant at my current company to do anything or say anything because I'm like, I just had this experience and I'm like, I'm not trying to be in that situation again, but you know, it's like a fire shop in my bones. I have to say something. I can't just let it go. Um, that's just not who I am. And so I said it and it has gone great, but that's not always the experience. And I've run into a lot of other colleagues who've had those kind of experiences where they've spoken up about something and it's just gone really badly for them. I've heard stories of my, my women colleagues who, whose hair has been touched by men who have started to pet them like they're animals. Um, I had a colleague of mine at my current company who told my manager upon discovering that I was taking a mission trip to Africa was like, oh my gosh, is everything okay at home? As if I, as if Africa was my home. <laughs> like, and so it's those kind of, those little things that happen that start to add up. And you had one person who called another black 
employee a thought, not knowing what that really means. Yes. And so, of course, you know, the person who was on the receiving end of that was ready to fight, but was like, (laughs) I can't because that's my job. So, you know, all those kind of things are happening. And so you have to always, it's like you're always trying to weigh um, the risk. It's It's a risk analysis, a risk cost analysis. Like, okay, so if I do this, how is this going to come and affect me detrimentally? And it sucks that we have to do that. It shouldn't be that way. Um, but it's a lot. It's like that for a lot of Black employees in corporate America. I can say being a Black woman in America, like you said, uh, is very difficult. Uh, the microaggressions are actually ridiculous. There have been countless times where, you know, for one, I like to change my hair sometimes. And that's just how women do. I mean, we, we like to do different things. Um, and so many comments have been shared that are, oh, how do you do that? You know, just weird, weird comments, braids this day. Oh, why do you change your hair next week? Or why do you do this, that, and the third? And my thing is like, we do not question any other race. We do not question any other anything about anything that they do and it seems as if the moment that you walk into the workspace all eyes are on you number one so you have to be you know dressed professionally like from head to toe everything has to be tip-top shape um your hair has to be one way or the other way has to be straight or you know just so many different microaggressions have been shared and i mean from top level c-level executives i've not just people on my level so um just trying to navigate that space and figure out like, why are people asking me these things? And you know, me coming from an HBCU, I'm proud of who I am. Um, There were so many times, I mean, conversations that I heard, I'm a very vocal person, I would want to speak up. Um, It's a matter of trying to be tactful and make sure, I think Joe said that about saying the right thing, um, figuring out, you know, picking and choosing your battles. And it's like, why do I have to pick and choose my battles? This is a space where I feel like everyone should be open and feel like we should have open conversation. But I just do not feel as if everyone is going to understand me. Um, I know this was the day that I left, I believe. we had HBCU Day. It was during February. So uh, they they do a huge uh, Black history celebration, all of that. Um, so everyone HBCU was invited to wear their paraphernalia, to, you know, just to wear, you know, the, of course, I come with my Spelman gear on, happy as ever. You know, we taking pictures downstairs, all of that. And I overhear um, members on my team, which are managers, why are they having HBCU day? We don't have um, this day for such and such. Why why do HBCUs exist? And at that moment, you know, you're so furious to the point where, let me just simmer down. Let me not even say anything at this moment. And it's sad that it gets to that point because you want to say something each and every time. Uh, You want to, you get, I get defensive. I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I get extremely defensive. Um, And I don't want to be, but I do want to have the, um, or have an educated response, have response that I feel like someone is going to be receptive enough to understand hey that's not okay to say or hey that was extremely offensive to me and a whole other group of people um so it's you know I'm still trying to figure that out you know how to be um how to be tactful in my response and not to get so defensive and not be you know because I'm I'm ready to go at sometimes like I'm like you just came for me you can't say that like that's who I am so um it's it's difficult getting to that point but you know just being able to have people around me that are um also black uh be straightforward and we have those conversations in the workplace and just kind of 
figure it out together. You know, some things you do have to just say, hey, kick it to the side, then figure it out some other day. Um, and stuff, stuff you can address head on. So um, it's definitely an experience. I will say that. We have a, a black support group at my job. We, outside of the diversity and inclusion stuff, we, the black employees in corporate, we have this thing called Mahogany Meetup. And we just, you know, before COVID, we would just get together once a month for lunch and we would just vent and talk. And we have our little channel, our Slack channel on the side where we just talk to each other. And it's wonderful. If I didn't have that, you know, that outlet, I think it would be much harder because at other jobs, I did not. You know, Joe, you mentioned Philando Castile. I remember working at the company I was at before when Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and then those Dallas officers happened. Nobody said anything about Alton Sterling. Nobody said anything about Philando Castile. Those Dallas cops get shot. Then everybody's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I'm so heartbroken. This is terrible. And I agree. It is terrible, but it was terrible a couple of days ago too when Philando Castile got shot. It was terrible a couple of days ago when Alton Sterling got shot, but you didn't care enough to be as expressive as you are now. And that means something to us. You know, we see that. And that to us, that at least to me, sends a message that Black lives did not matter to you. They may matter now because everybody suddenly thinks they matter because we were forced to confront the ugliness of systemic racism because you saw a man die on camera, which is a shame. It took that for you to actually understand. But yeah, you were saying, you were, make, you were sending the message, this little you know, subliminal message to me that we don't care unless it's somebody we care about, somebody who we can identify with, somebody who we relate to. Meanwhile, everything happened in the black community. Well, that's, you know, that sucks. You know, and we're just not going to we're just not going to talk about it because it makes us too uncomfortable to talk about. So anyway, Ebony and Yesuto, you didn't get a chance to talk in a while. Go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say to your point, um, I, I find it very strange that um, even in situations like you were just discussing about how um, just a common man passes away um at the hands of police brutality and others cannot relate to it some some way they can just not they can't relate to a black man being shot senselessly but they can somehow relate to a police officer who chose that as his profession who decided that that was that was what he wanted to do for himself now definitely don't take me wrong when i say this um, because I definitely do believe that it is definitely a sad thing when someone passes away, regardless of their profession. However, you know, it's crazy to me that you can, you can sympathize more. You understand more for a, a, a police officer who is killed in the line of duty, which is what he signed up, he or she signed up for and wanted to do. But you can't relate to a man who's just riding in his car with a child in the back seat and his girlfriend in the passenger side, and he does everything the the way that he should do, and you can't relate to him. You can't relate to his, to the life that's lost, and you then say things like, "I don't see color," but the only thing that makes the difference is color in that situation. That's it's the only thing that that truly, truly sets the boundaries. So 
I, I try my best to not be or become discouraged. Um, now I'm in a more diverse workplace, so it that's definitely helpful for me. We don't necessarily have support groups, which I think is absolutely phenomenal, Jonathan. I wish that um, you know more companies would take that on. Um, but I, I definitely do believe that um, we have to do a better job of supporting one another um, and just saying like, hey, let's vent about this because this is the only way that I'm going to make it through this eight hours today. Um, especially, I, I have never, um, I've never, I've never experienced such a, a lack of motivation to work um, until George Floyd passed away. And I'm, I'm even working from home and it was still like, I do not want to get up. I do not want to work. I do not want to continue to continue to labor for an organization that has not cared enough about me and how I feel in this situation to say, hey, do you need a day? Do you need some time to just, you know, dial back? Do you need, you know, an hour? I, I heard of some companies that literally gave employees ha a half day. It's a scheduled half day, but it's just, hey, go home, process your feelings with this and come back tomorrow and have a better day. Or we hope that that helps you come back tomorrow and have a better day. I, I just, I, I think that that in itself would definitely be helpful, but that's where we also have to come in. We have, we also have to come in. We have to be supportive of one another and also saying, you know, we are the only people that can look out for ourselves. So I'm going to help you and you're going to help me as we look out for, for our people. I, I do think that we have to do a better job as far as that's concerned. What what were conversations like at your jobs after George Floyd? Were there any? What was it like for you at work? So um, some of the older women on my team specifically, um, I do vividly remember um, one lady, she literally cried because she she was like, I'm so concerned for my child. Um, she has a an adult son, but she's like, you know, I'm just concerned for him. I'm concerned for his well-being. I'm I'm genuinely worried that something may happen to him. Um, and I think that that is the burden that a lot of our people carry. Um, I think that for the for our Hispanic for my Hispanic um, colleagues, I think that they just don't really know what to say. I mean, they're also in a position where they're disadvantaged as well and their people are disadvantaged as well and so sometimes also trying to be supportive of them is important as well but I think that for my African-American colleagues specifically it was it was there was there was a lot of um you could just tell there was an emotional shift um there was in our team huddle, there are usually a lot of things that people have to say, but I mean, that particular week, it was silent. I mean, we didn't have words to say. We didn't, we, did, we didn't, you know, it, 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 I, I definitely felt numb. I mean, and I, and I think that that's kind of what led to the silence amongst our people as well, not wanting to say the wrong thing as well, which is also a valid concern, but um, yeah, I think 
numbness and being concerned and also trying to remove your emotions from the job that you have to do every day. Um, that's a difficult task to take on too. Um, but just kind of saying, okay, I have to get myself together so that I can, you know, get through this eight hours today. Um, I think that that was a lot of, of um, our experience as well. Anybody else? Um, yeah, that, uh, the, the, the first day after, uh, like the video came out was, that was a, that was a really rough morning. I remember I was doing out of, me and my dad were doing a devotional and I was telling him how I was like extremely, like, I don't, I don't usually, I don't, I think I've, I think everybody struggles with their faith. I think that, that morning I really struggled with like my faith that morning, just like around the idea of uh, the idea that I had to forgive, technically I had to forgive that man, uh, especially if he wasn't a Christian before, let's say through, you know, through whatever conversations that he has uh, that he could eventually become a Christian. And then I have to uh, forgive that man uh, for what he did. And then, you know, because we all believe that there is a, a second home after this one, that he should be welcomed into uh, into the afterlife, into into heaven. Like I, I, I had like a real struggle dealing with that, and my dad and I had like a really a really good conversation around it. But then you know, after that, still extremely angry, uh, you know, just uh, hurt, and then found out that because uh, my mom was in Minneapolis for many years, found out that that community was where my cousins live in Minneapolis, and um, like, but then also I have another cousin who was high up in the police force. Like, it's just a lot of, it was like a lot of like weird things was like going through. And then I hop on the team call and then, um, one of my teammates was like, um, asked, asked my other teammate about his dad because his dad lived in the suburbs three miles out of the city. And she was like, how's your dad doing? And like, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? This is how we're going to, this is, this is how we're starting the day. Right. Cool. Um, and I just like, I, and then they had like a whole like a whole 10 minute conversation around, oh my dad's doing okay, da, da, da. you know, it's crazy, targets burned down. And like I just remember turn, I, I turned off my video, I muted myself, and I just I, I walked off, like I walked off, cooled down. Cause I was I was I was extremely like just like these like this is the energy you're gonna start the day with. And you have and you have one, you have one black coworker, and this is like the and this is the um, this is what we're bringing to the table. As, as I start today. And um, thankfully, uh, I think I think it was realized that Alfred was no longer part of the conversation. Um, and, you know, they were like, well, you know, how are you doing, Alfred? And I was like, well, actually, you know, uh, you know, I have family in that community. Like, you know, like that's like it hit closer to it, it hit close to home for that. And also just like already this emotional roller coaster to the Mount Arbor situation, the Beyond Taylor situation. And it was like all the other things that have happened over the last seemingly uh, five, six years where it's like consistently every month. It's like, you see somebody looks like you just get killed. Um, like, you know, it's just like, it's just, you know, a constant, like, you know, you just, you get, you get burnt out about it. And, um, you know, thankfully after that, uh, my, my boss, she followed up with me and she was like, you know, just like a really awesome conversation. And it wasn't like, she was asking me a whole lot of questions. She just, shut up and let me talk for like, you know, a good, 
you know, 30, 45 minutes. And I just really appreciated it. And she ever like, it was not the, you know, oh, I understand. It was just like, a, it was pleasant that like nobody tried to say, I understand where you're coming from. It was just coming from a place of listening, how I felt about it and letting me get that energy off. Um, and I, I appreciated it. Um, so, you know, after that, you know, thankfully we kind of, we've worked on some really interesting things around uh, diversity and inclusion uh, and, you know, improving certain things within the organization. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's, you know, in times like this, you get aggravated that it takes certain situations like this uh, to push the needle on certain topics. Uh, but I do think, um, and I think we all kind of play this, you know, can play this role if you're a black person in a, in a professional setting. When these situations do come up, it does provide a very good opportunity uh, to lead certain conversations and push people in ways that they may not have been comfortable being pushed just a week before that. And um, I will say that's been, I'll say like if there was one good thing that has come out of this is that I think the people that I work with and I think, I think our board, I think a lot of people that I work with, conversations and people have been pushed in places that they may not have been pushed uh, before now. And it's, and it's, it's good to see um, because like when you work with corporate people, they're supposed to, they're supposed to be smart people, you know, and these people are supposed to be intelligent. So like you should be able to be pushed and be able to uh, have intelligent dialogue about things that are uncomfortable. Um, and I will say the good thing that's come out of this is that these quote unquote intelligent people are now being pushed to be intelligent about something new. And that's been really awesome to see. So. Sierra, Joe, what about you guys? Well, being that I am not in the corporate setting right now, um, I haven't necessarily had conversations with coworkers. Um, however, at the moment, I've kind of pro project managed a team and um, had to deal with um, someone that brought up the George Floyd situation. Um, things like that kind of make me uncomfortable because like I said, I get really emotional um, right now and I have to figure out exactly how I feel um, in order to address the situation or the conversation. Um, I do understand that these uncomfortable conversations have to happen, but sometimes when certain comments are said, it's kind of difficult for me to put together an answer that I think that they would understand where I'm coming from. Um, this was an individual, a white male from up north that um, kind of tried to justify the situation. Um, oh, this wasn't, and, and to me, there's no justification whatsoever. Um, at that moment, I began to think of not only, you know, when I was in Florida and the Trayvon Martin verdict, you know, was everything just kind of blew up, basically. The past 400 plus years blew up for me, if we're being honest. So um, I, these conversations right now, I think I'm still trying to work on, uh, trying to figure out exactly how to address them. I have not gotten to that place yet. Um, I would like to get there, but it's, I'm just a very emotional person when it comes to, to the topic. Um, and I try to understand it for myself, uh, which there may not be much understanding surrounding it. It's just straightforward. You know, this person was black, this happened because they were black. Um, and yeah, I, I just haven't figured it out yet. To be completely honest, I have not figured it out yet. And that's okay. You're being honest with yourself. So thank you. Um, it's a journey. It's a yeah. journey. I'm not fully there myself. I've had some struggles too. Joe, what about you? Uh, yes, um, I, I have had conversations, um, you know, with with coworkers about, you know, the George Floyd situation and 
and you know everything everything that's disseminated from it you know the protests uh you know the riots um you know people that are supportive um people that are are not supportive um so i i would say for for me the conversations that i've had uh, have been meaningful um but I, i've had those conversations with individuals though like there, there hasn't necessarily been part of it i think you know we, we haven't been doing we haven't been doing gatherings you know at my office again everyone kind of stays in their own office and you know we get our work done and we go home um because of covid uh so there has not been you know an institutional conversation you know of, of the entire firm but um there have been talks amongst individuals um you know which which i think is a you know is a, is a step in the right direction yeah absolutely it's each one teach one you know it's it's incremental in nature a lot of the times um, at, I told you guys a little bit earlier about what's been happening at my office. Well, my job, I'm not in the office, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, those conversations have been great. I've helped facilitate some of them. I've talked about George Floyd a lot. Um, but I will say the Wednesday after he died, which is the day after the video was widely circulated, was a really difficult day for me as well. Um, I just, I was heavy. I was just really, really heavy. It was hard, you know, like Ebony was talking about finding that motivation. I had a hard time finding that motivation, having to be on meetings and smile through the pain, which is what we're accustomed to doing, you know, shoving down that trauma. Um, even though on the inside I was screaming and wanted to rage, I kind of kept it, you know, professional like that. Um, we're used to doing that. It, it's survival. It's how we survive. Um, and so, yeah, that was, I think that was the first day since we started working from home that I actually took a nap on my lunch break, which I never do. I was just so tired. I was out of it. Like I, my sleep cycle was fine at that point, but I think it was just the emotional toll of, again, seeing another black man killed by the police and people, you know, I, I think people struggle to understand why it affects us the way it does. I think a lot of people are like, well, you didn't know him or he wasn't related to you, that doesn't matter. When you, you have to understand the systemic history <laughs> behind all this, we're accustomed to seeing people who look like us and to being killed and dealing with the fact that we are endangered in this country. Um, that living while black is, you know, is different. It's just different. And, and it puts us in the, it could easily put us in the crosshairs of somebody who's out for our blood. And so, you know, it's just a reminder of that. Plus you had Amy Cooper, that whole situation in Central Park happened at the same time. Then you have a pandemic that disproportionately kills us. So you have all that. That's, that's a lot. You know, we were, I was going through some emotional whiplash because it was constantly like, bam, bam, bam. It's constant. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to relent. Um, Yesuto, you tap into something that I really like to talk, to, talk about though, being both a black person and a believer. And sometimes there can be tension. Um, and I'm not talking about being black nationalists or pan-Africanists or, you know, nation is nothing like that. But I'm, what I'm saying is though, you know, as believers, we ascribe to a value system that is very countercultural. that, you know, Jesus tells us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Um, we're to show grace and we're to, you know, apportion mercy to people who do wrong to us, love our enemies. And so, but then at the same time, it feels like a war is being waged against black bodies in this country. 
and we get angry and it's okay to be angry. You should be angry because it's, it's sin. It's wrong. Um, but how do you all manage that as believers, as young believers who are dealing with all of this trauma, all this generational trauma that is just perpetuated from generation to generation, you're dealing with that. You're dealing with the latest, um, black person being killed by law enforcement. You're dealing with the pandemic at the same time. You are a blood bought, you know, baptized, Holy Ghost filled, speaking in tongues, praying, believer. Like, how do you deal with all that? Oh, I, <laughs> I haven't quite mastered it yet, if I'm just being totally honest. Um, I try my best to remember that, uh, that we know that we, it's okay to be angry, but we're not to sin um in our anger and in our frustration um so I definitely do try to remember that which is why I knew for myself I was not in a I wasn't in a position where I could be out protesting because my heart posture was not correct at the time and that could have easily backfired for me um but I I I'm I'm definitely still um working on forgiveness and kind of learning what that looks like um, in a situation where I'm not necessarily directly impacted by what's happening, meaning I was not the person that was murdered or my family member was not the person that was murdered, but seeing that could have been me. So I still have to apply it, apply the principles of forgiveness in the same way. Um, But I haven't figured it out yet. I'm still trying. I'm still, um, I think every day gets a little bit easier. Um, but that's why, like you said before, Jonathan, the, the whiplash is real when it's a constant back to back. It's almost as you, as if, as soon as you start to progress, boom, it happens again. And then you're still trying to catch up from the last time that it happened. Um, so just kind of finding a balance and having conversations. I think that that's what's also um, helpful because we acknowledge that we've experienced trauma, but we have to be open with one another and recognizing our needs as well. So if you need to go see someone that is professionally trained to help you, that is is 100% okay to do. just to ensure that you are emotionally whole. Um, but also if it's on, if it's on, if it's from a spiritual perspective as well, if you need to go and, you know, speak to your spiritual advisor, whomever that may be just saying, okay, from a spiritual perspective, how do I respond to this trauma? I think that, you know, all things involved need to happen, but it's always a work in progress. Absolutely. And, and I think it's okay to own that and to be honest. Um, to be frank with y'all, the people who haven't really been angry concern me. So I'm like, <laughs> are you there? <laughs> like, knock, knock, is anybody in there? Um, but everybody deals with it differently. So, um, but I'll talk more about my feelings. I want somebody else to go ahead. I think, Yesuto, you were starting. Um, yeah, I was just going to say that you know, it, from, for me, it's kind of what Emmy just touched on. It's like having those spiritual advisors. Uh, like, uh, I kind of look at the same as like, you know, being a Black professional and in a space that there's not a lot of Black professionals in. You have 
when you're kind of trying to figure out and maneuver through certain things, you have those those go-to mentors and people that you know will answer the phone when you got questions or you know will text back, you know, in short order when you send them, you know, when when you, when you, when you have something going on. And same for, you know, my faith walk and going through all these things and uh, you know, trying to, you know, figure out certain things like, you know, thankfully, you know, when you when your dad's a pastor, you kind of get that inundated with you. And um, but Thankfully, you know, I'll say people like Trevor, like I probably talk to Trevor about the same, you know, almost as much, if not sometimes more about uh, faith and uh, things that I'm going through, things that I'm thinking about, or things that I want to know, things I'm trying to learn more about. Um, so like making sure that I have that, you know, have those conversations is always something important to me because at the end of the day, you're not going to be perfect, right? And you're not going to get every single thing right. Uh, and the good thing is, is that you got a long life, so you got a lot of time to ask many more questions, and, and they're not all going to be answered. Um, so, you know, just but but making sure you have somebody that kind of, um, like Ebony said before, like that advisor that kind of plays that role of, you know, how should I be thinking about these things, or somebody that can, uh, if they don't know the answer, maybe they can kind of think critically with you on certain things. It's just um, been super important for me, um, and in both being a black professional, but also just being a black Christian. I mean, like Ebony said, I'm still figuring it out. Um, I pray all the time. I pray over the men around me, the women around me. Um, <laughs> I pray for literally everything. And sometimes, like, you question yourself because you're like, is praying enough? Like, what, you know, you start, like I said, you start questioning yourself, just thinking, like, what more can I do? Um, and I think that's the battle that I kind of face, like just what can I do when sometimes like you do have to just seek advice or seek help or just have conversations with people that um, are your spiritual advisors or your mentors. Um, I think that conversations help you to kind of cope with your emotions. Um, and that's my thing, just taking care of mental health first um, and making sure that you can, you know, have yourself in check before you go out into the world and try to make some type of change or help others. Um, because, I mean, you can't be like a broken record. I, sometimes I feel like I'm just broken down into pieces. I can't do it. You know, you feel helpless. You feel extremely helpless. Um, so I'll just say I'm figuring it out as well. Um, not to say it's in a bad place or anything like that, or I'm in a bad place, but um, you just feel very helpless when it's countless times that, you know, you turn on the news. I don't even turn on the news anymore, um, but you hear about it or you see it and, you know, you're out and put, I mean, it's just all over the place. And it's just like, is this life? Like, is this exactly what we have to deal with? Can we change it? You know, what's going to happen here? So, um, I think just continuing to keep mental health in check first and make sure that these events do not drive us sour and drive us literally insane um, is step one. And then, you know, seeking that that help and that advice with others that may be in the same place, more than likely. A lot of people that may be therapists and may be um, spiritual advisors or mentors are in that exact same place. And, you know, check on your strong friends is what it is. Like check on those strong people because we really have to hold each other up and um, try to make sure these things don't happen again, try to change it. Um, but that's that's generations of change that have to be uprooted and, and it's just a lot. So um, I'm in the figuring it out phase, but I, I think that it's, we're getting there. Yeah. What about you, Joe? How do you balance it? Um, I think for me, um, 
And I, I want to kind of touch on something um, you know, Yesuto kind of ushered us into, in, into this current question. Uh, but, you know, when you talk about, you know, he struggled with, you know, the idea of uh, forgiving, you know, the officers and, and, and what they did to, um, what they did to George Floyd. And um, it, it reminded me of, of a message um, that, that Bishop preached, I believe it was this year. Um, and it was, it was all about loving your neighbor. It was all about loving your neighbor. And um, I mean, I'll say, you know, we can, you know, we can throw out everybody's name, right? You know, out of all of these people, you know, who have, who have passed away um, and, and, you know, all of the perpetrators. And I think one of the cops was, you know, Derek Chavez, I believe, um, you know, to your, you know, to your Dylan Roos, to your, to your George Zimmerman's. Um, I have never struggled with the idea of, you know, do I have to forgive this person? Um, and I, honestly, I never even thought about it. Um, because I probably because I didn't feel like, you know, I was the one that needed to forgive them. It's, you know, the, the families of people um, who have been, you know, who, who, you know, they've taken these, you know, this life, you know, Trayvon Martin's parents, uh, you know, his siblings, you know, the families, those are the people who need to extend their forgiveness. But certainly, um, you know, you, you struggle when, you know, when you know somebody maybe doesn't respect your humanity you know, the idea that, you know, the Lord does expect us to, to love that person, to love our neighbor, um, you know, regardless of, you know, how they, how they view us. Um, and, you know, I'll just echo what everyone else has said. It's, it's a process. Um, it's certainly a process and it's, it's something that, um, that, that I'm still working on. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, it definitely has still been a process. Um, similar i mean i can echo everything all of you guys are saying I've, i think i felt this way <laughs> everything you said i felt that way um i i that's you know i thank god for the holy spirit because it's the holy spirit who helps me um because i can't do it in and of myself um because i'm angry and i'm frustrated and i'm tired and you know and scared at the same time and so not wanting to go through life always feeling like at any moment, you know, something awful can happen. That's, that's not the life God has called us to. He's called us to a life of abundance. He's called us to a life of confidence in him. And so remembering those things and speaking those things over myself has been really instrumental in this season. Um, but I will say like maybe two weeks after all this happened, I really had a hard time. I was, I was mad. I was really mad. And I think, something that helped exacerbate my anger was a few weeks before that, um, you know, I moved into a new apartment in Fort Mill and my neighbors called the cops on me my first day because Yvonne and I were praying too loudly. For those watching, Yvonne's my fiance. And, you know, that was frustrating and that was infuriating and that was scary. And so then George Floyd happens a couple weeks later and it's like, dang, you can't pray while black, you can't, drive while black, you can't breathe while black, you know, it's, it's just a, a laundry list of things you can't do, um, won't put you in, in potential jeopardy. And so you just get tired of that. You get, you get tired of, again, like I said earlier, your very existence being a threat to people. Nevertheless, um, God is still good. And I, I have to remind myself that he is, he's with me. He's with all of us. And, you know, sometimes, I can allow that 
I have to be careful not to allow the anger to cloud what I know is the truth, that we are in a fallen world. We are in a sinful world. And this is the result of sin, ultimately, in that if we want to see racism eradicated, which I don't think it ever will be until the millennial reign of Christ, but if we actually want to see that maybe lessened, if you want to see it slacken a little bit, it's a heart issue, ultimately. I definitely believe in the power of protesting. I definitely believe in the power of standing up and, and vocalizing how you feel and, and making changes, institutional and systemic changes in the criminal justice system, in the education system, in corporate America, absolutely. But I know at the end of the day, if anything's going to really, really change, it is going to come down to the heart. Um, and that's why it's so incumbent that we remain uh, ministers of the gospel, no matter where we are, because that's what we're called to be, you know, ambassadors wherever we are. Now, I'm not saying there are gonna be days where it's easy or where you're gonna feel like doing that all the time. Um, Lord knows after this, I didn't feel like ministering to nobody. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't have anything for you. Um, you know, white people kept asking me, how can I help? How can I help? What can I do? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing for you. I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure this out myself. I can't help you right now. Um, but eventually it's kind of like, all right, got to kind of get up. Let's go. Let's figure this out. I think my biggest struggle came from newly woke white people. Mm. That, that's the one that got me the most because again, you know, I'm like, it's been 400 years. This has been around you the entire time. And I get it. You're in the majority. You don't get it. People don't talk to you about this. This is not your life experience. I, I understand that. But I did have a lot of questions, you know, like Trayvon Martin happened, Oscar Grant happened, Amadou Diallo happened, Rodney King happened. Um, there have been so many examples before people started putting all these things on iPhones. So really, what's the excuse? Just be honest, you didn't care. Like, just own it. And once we can own the truth, we can actually move on. And so that's been my struggle. It's like all these people are coming to this racial epiphany. I'm like, Really though, <laughs> you know, like really? Um, we've been talking about this forever, but I'm, you know, God's working on me about them. I'm, I'm getting there. It's, it's a process, it's a journey. So yeah, I guess that was my rant. <laughs> um, so I know we're, we're reaching almost an hour and 30 minutes and I did not want to keep you all beyond 6.30, but I would like to kind of ask just maybe one more question or see if any of you have any questions. Uh, that you want to uh, kind of throw out there, but kind of um, in terms of moving forward as in your careers, especially, what do you see as kind of like the next step or what, what changes do you think you're going to make? What modifications in your life might you make now that we're in kind of this quote unquote new era of racial understanding? I don't know how long it's going to last, to be honest, but that's just me. Um, but now that we're here and you still have aspirations, you still have goals, even though the world around us is like on fire, like what, what do you think is next for you? What, what do you want to do? How do, what things do you want to change? What goals do you want to achieve? Just kind of put it out there. As a, you know, I'm, I'm new in my profession. So, uh, you know, I want to be, I want to be the best, you know, attorney that, that, that I can possibly be. Um, and, um, I just, I want to be able to stay true to myself. Um, I want to be able to stay true to myself, um, you know, with, with my upbringing, you know, uh, who my, you know, who, who God wants me to be, expects me to be, who my, who my parents raised me to be, 
and and also uh, you know as a black man, um, I know we we kind of touched on you know code switching and you know you know knowing the right thing to say and um, echoing what Tierra said. I mean, we we certainly have to be tactful about about the things that we do, and I think that's that's true for for anyone. Um, but um, I do um, strive, and I will be you know, who I am. I'm going to be Joe Terrius and, and, and everything that, that comes along with that. Um, and, and of course my, my culture and being a black man, uh, comes along with, with Joe Terrius. Um, and, and, and I'm proud, um, of, 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 of who I am and, and where I come from. So, um, I'm a current candidate for a master's in work. Um, I have a while before graduation, but, um, I, I'm super excited about this process um, and I'm just looking forward to being able to provide mental health services for our people specifically that um, are affordable um, or being able to provide them in situations where you bring no, you bring no money to the table but we acknowledge that you have a need and we acknowledge that you need um, that you You've come to the place where you said, I want help. I just don't have the money for it. Um, I would like to be able to provide people with the tools to assist with that. Um, and especially specifically for black people, um, because I think that we are a people who have experienced so much trauma and we continuously tell ourselves, well, just keep pushing forward. Just keep moving. Just keep, keep keep suppressing the things that you're feeling. Um, and I think that truly it's a silent killer. Um, we have a lot of black people who are walking around empty today, just solely because they have never actually faced the things that they've experienced. Um, so I would like to be able to assist with that as much as I can, um, but I'm still, it's, it's a, it's a work in progress, but, um, that's my, that's definitely my passion for sure. Um, but we'll see what that looks like in a few years. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, it's just kind of like, uh, what Joe said before is, you know, pretty much, you know, striving to continuously be the best, um, at what you're doing. So continuously, learning more about the spaces that I work in and different industries that I'm doing, like, like working with, I think it's just continually that process and making sure that I, you know, keep people around me that I can ask questions and help me grow. Um, I think one of the things that I've thought about a lot over the last few months, and particularly now that even with the Nick Cannon situation, he lost, he lost while and out, you know, the importance of capital and the importance of uh, being able to put capital to work. Um, I think it's like, you know, money is, Money is the root of all evil, right? But you know, it can it can be uh, very, very helpful and influential um, to put you know if used in the right used in the right way. And I think for me, it's just kind of understanding that some of the things that I think about now probably or the things I want to support now, those things probably I, I can't do those things now, but I could be in a place where I can help people, you know, get capital or help you know be somebody that can help along the way. But long term, putting myself in a place where I can uh, fund the things that I want to fund, fund the initiatives that I want to fund, um, you know, be a part of uh, wealth building and being a part of ownership and owning your owning things, you, owning the work that you do and owning the work that you have. 
that's just extremely, extremely important. And then as we kind of think about being able to talk freely and just, you know, ownership and, you know, being able to, you know, all your things be yours, you know, is extremely important. That's the thing I've just been thinking about a lot. Um, so for me, it's, you know, hopefully being able to, you know, be the best whatever investor there is, like Joseph trying to, you know, being the best lawyer that you can be. Um, I think we're all trying to be the best whatever we want to be. Um, but yeah, I just, sorry, I'm, I'm probably rambling at this point too, but uh, yeah, just consistently trying to, from going forward, just like it was before now, it's just like, you got to keep on working and try to be the best you can be so that you can, uh, you know, be, be some, be somebody that can help somebody be the best they can be later on. And that constant, that constant cycle of continuously working hard and, you know, honing what you do and doing it and do it to the, uh, to the glory of God as well. Um, I remember where you came from. Um, so for me, I'm about the same as everyone said. Uh, right now, I and always, I've been big on building Black businesses. And the reason that I'm in North Carolina at this very moment, um, I've been helping my brother build his business um, and just make sure, you know, we're starting within the family um, just to take up that space in the economic field, spaces that we have not been able to occupy. Um, and I think that my forte is really um, assisting my people, you know, with, I mean, my brother, you know, certain people haven't been in certain experiences or had certain experiences. So I want to be that voice for them and be able to help them and build them up as well. Um, and like I said, just continue to build our businesses and own our own businesses, own our everything that we create. I mean, honestly, if you look at America, a lot of things have been created by black people. But however, we do not have um ownership of them. Reason being why Nick Cannon lost his show. Um, why a lot of people have lost a lot of shows and lost whatever they have lost. Um, it's ours. America is technically uh, built on the backs of Black people. So um, right now, my thing is encouraging others to pursue entrepreneurship, to pursue higher levels um, in whatever industries they're in um, and do that for myself as well. So, And also educating our people because a lot of people do not have access to um, you know, just the information, certain information, you know, whether that be history, whether that be economic resources, um, whatever it is, uh, I just want to be that voice for them and that, that pillar. So um, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, for me, I kind of want to continue to advance in my career as long as God allows me. Um, but to use my, my position and my privilege, because I think there is a privilege in being a black man in corporate America to provide access for those who don't have it. Um, I've had the opportunity to do that in my current role. I want to continue to do that. I want to invest in people, especially people who look like us. Um, and I want to continue to lift them up and amplify their voices. I want to turn my side business into a full-time business one day um, and use that again as a mechanism to amplify our voices. Because so I think access is really probably our largest, biggest obstacle as a people and access is so broad to capital, to education, to opportunity. Um, so I wanna do what I can to provide access because I realize how blessed I am to be where I am. And God has shown me a lot of favor in the jobs I've worked in the, my career. And so I, I don't wanna waste it. It's not just for me, so it's for us all. Um, thank you all. This was great. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. This was a good conversation. It was fun, um, thank you. Yes, thank you, I, I'm glad. 
Um, and I hope that we can do this again sometime. Hopefully not on the heels of another slang. Uh, let's just do it to do it. Okay. Uh, thank you, everybody. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. Take care. Have a good evening. All right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Top Talk. Be sure to visit our podcast and Facebook page for new episodes and to get caught up on some of the ones you may have missed. Be blessed.